Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson. Papa, can you tell me a story? Do you really want me to tell you a story? (laughs) Well, you go get your brother and your sisters and I will tell you a story. Well, last week we considered Job chapter 1 when Satan both accused and assaulted Job, a man who is blameless and without fault. And in Job chapter 1, Satan destroyed Job's livestock and his children all in one day. And we remember that Job did not sin. He did not charge God foolishly. He fell down and he worshiped God. Job did not have what we call a commercial relationship with God. He worshiped God regardless of the circumstances of his life. This brings us today to Job chapter 2, where there is a second accusation against his integrity and a second assault. So let's read together from Job chapter 1. I'm sorry, Job chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now remember, this is the second time God has asked this question. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to his face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips." May God add His blessings to this reading from the Word of God. This describes the second accusation that Job makes, that Satan makes against Job, and the second assault that Satan made against Job. Satan impugns Job's motives and his character. But God said, You had no reason to incite me against this man. He still maintains his integrity. In other words, his faith. Job still trusted in God. 
he still considered it a worthwhile thing to walk in righteousness and shun evil despite the terrible things that had befallen him. He hadn't turned to the dark side in frustration or in bitterness, saying, what's the use? There's no point in all of this. My lost friends fare better than I do. And you know, and I all know people who have had that attitude when, when seriously adverse circumstances have come into their life. Now, let me just share an example with you. When I was in college, I participated in a campus-wide evangelistic effort with a whole group of other college students. Not only were we intent on sharing the gospel with every student on my college campus, but we also planned to share the gospel with every professor on campus. It was my responsibility to share the gospel with one of my immunology and virology professors. Now, this gentleman was, a, was an intellectual sort. He was very intense. He was six foot six and intimidated the hound out of me. But I had prayed about it for weeks, and I was committed to sharing the gospel with him. So I asked permission, and he agreed to give me a listen. So I go to his office, and I shared my testimony with him. I shared the gospel with him, and he listened very politely, much to his credit. But when I was through, he looks at me, and he says to me, I had a two-year-old son who died at two years of age, and I don't understand why a loving God would allow that to happen. Well, I was 21 years of age. I had no answer for that. <laughs> I'm 68 years old now, and I still don't have an answer for things like that. Why does God allow small children to contract serious illness and die? Innocent little children. I don't have an answer for my patients now. I didn't have an answer for my college professor then. But I looked at him, and I could say to him in, in all honesty at that time that I could say that God was a loving God and that he has a plan for all of our lives and that we have a responsibility before God to put our trust and confidence in Him, even though we don't understand everything that He allows to happen in this life. Well, Job continued to put his trust and his confidence in God, even though he had lost seven sons and three daughters, and thousands of sheep and cattle and goats and donkeys, he continued to trust in God. Well, Satan looks at God and says, skin for skin. Well, we all know people who say things like that. They're in a car wreck or a house fire, what's the first thing they say? They say, it doesn't matter about the car or the house. All that matters is that we all got out safely. Now, when I was in high school, I used to drive a little yellow Triumph Spitfire. Now, it was a sweet little ride. It was four in the floor and four-cylinder. Didn't go very fast, 80 miles per hour top speed. But one day on, on a rainy day, I, I flipped that little car upside down in a car wreck. I got a ride home, but my father had to drive by that upside-down vehicle on his way home. 
<laughs> well, I was terrified that he was going to be very angry that I had wrecked his little prize Triumph Spitfire. And I remember hearing the, the gravel slinging up against a little metal utility building, building as he came flying into the driveway. And then I heard his feet go pounding into the house. And he came running into my bedroom, and I sat there with my hands rubbing my thighs nervously, waiting for him to come in. And he runs in, and he immediately says, Son, are you all right? And I said, Yes, sir, I'm fine. And he begins to ask me additional questions. And finally, I said, are, are you upset with me? And he said, Son, of course not. He said, I can always get another vehicle, but I can't get another one of you. And then he immediately put my hands in his, and he knelt his head and he began to pray and thank the Lord that I was okay. You see, it doesn't matter about the car, son. What matters is that you are all right. Skin for skin. And Satan was impugning Job's integrity and saying to God that he'll give up everything. But if you just touch his physical body, he will curse you to his face, which is exactly what Satan said. He suggested if Job was made to suffer physically, he would curse God to his face. For he would then have no further reason to worship God and maintain his faith in God. Then came in verse 7, the second assault. Painful sores, boils from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet. And the same word for these painful sores is the word was, that was used to describe the plague of festering boils in Egypt when God brought the, the plague of boils all over Egypt land. And the same word was used to describe Hezekiah's illness many, many years later. And what was Job's reaction? Well, in verse 8, the Bible says that this man who once sat in the city gate, and was sought out by the elders of the city for his advice, was now sitting on the ground in the city dump with the other outcast, cutting his running, purulent boils with a piece of broken pottery and rubbing ashes into his wounds for relief. And then in verse 9, to add the most painful insult to injury, his most beloved confidant, his most trusted friend, the one who knew his heart better than anyone else turned against him and his most cherished values and said to him, why do you still cling to your faith? Curse God and die. In his wife's eyes, his faith was worthless. And his physical condition was repugnant and hopeless. Oh, my friends, what a dagger to the heart, to a suffering man. When he needed comfort the most, he received criticism. And then in verse 10, rather than being angry and retorting with some kind of sarcastic or hurtful remark, this very humble and righteous man meekly replied and says to her, you are a spiritually ignorant woman, a non-discerning woman, a 
foolish woman. And you see, her advice is exactly what Satan had predicted that Job would do. What Job would not do, his wife would have done and would have advised others to do in their extremity. In full possession of his faith, Job calmly pointed out that both calamity and prosperity, both good and evil, both trouble and peace come from the hand of the Lord. He accepted both from the hand of a loving heavenly Father, knowing that God works all things together for good for those that love Him and are the called according to His purpose. Here's the question, dear listener. Do you and I believe that? In the very bottom of our heart, are we convinced of that? Do we accept trouble with equanimity, continuing to trust in God? Does your great faith put you in Job's camp? Or does your paucity of faith, your poverty of faith, put you in the camp of Job's wife, criticizing God, complaining to God, mully-grubbing, and turning away when life doesn't go the way you want life to go? Or do you bow the knee and worship God even when tragedy strikes? Two of my patients were sweet Christian folks attending a church that I once attended. And their little four-year-old son contracted a terminal cancer. And in just a few short months, that little precious boy went to Jesus. The husband clung to his faith in God, just like Job did. He continued to love his children and be the Christian father that he should have been. But his wife immediately left God. She left her husband. She left her children. And in bitterness, she turned away from God. And as Job's wife advised Job, she cursed God. But she didn't die. She went on to marry two other men in quick succession over a few years' time. I counseled with her husband over the years. And in one day, he told me, he said, Dr. Jackson, I don't know why this has happened, but I am confident God has a purpose in it and that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, my goodness. What a man of faith. And I'm telling you, sisters and brothers, only the Spirit of God in a man can elicit that kind of response. Let me conclude with a poem written by a man named Anonymous. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay 
which only God understands, while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks, when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, and whichever purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. The lessons that we learn from Job are eternal lessons. The lessons of life that we must all hide deep within our hearts. There are more lessons to be learned from the life of Job, and I hope you'll tune in for another lesson next week. If you like what you're hearing, I pray that you would follow, like, or share, and share it with your friends and neighbors. And may the Lord bless you real good. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.